Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. Thank you for joining me. I am refreshed. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice or tell by looking at me, but I am refreshed. I am back from my first legitimate time off, non like trip home, non, you know, one or two day getaway, real six days of just going off the grid, no obligations whatsoever for the first time in years with just Chris and I, we got away for a friend's wedding. I told you guys about it last week and we were gone from Wednesday to Monday. Like I said, no obligations, nothing to do except enjoy ourselves, see friends, enjoy the wonderful accommodations. And I cannot tell you what, what good it did for my soul. I think that uh, we have both been incredibly lucky during the last uh, year and a half plus since the pandemic began to be healthy and to our, have our family be healthy um, and to not have experienced the worst or even close to the worst of what this pandemic has wrought on the nation and the world. Um, but of course, it takes its toll, you know, transitioning to a different work setting, working from home rather than going onto the lot and into the studio all the time, just schedules completely readjusted, life completely readjusted, travel and all of that stuff completely readjusted. Our own wedding has been delayed uh, two years from its original date. And so um, obviously there wasn't a lot of time for real getaways there. So we're not the only ones um, by any means, but we were really grateful to be able to get that time off and it was glorious. I'll be telling you a little bit about it later in the podcast because I was able to have the whole day and next day off after the Patriots Bucks game. So I enjoyed it as a fan, not working, not really covering it in any particular way. I just was able to watch and how I watched was really the key to the experience, but I was just kind of, I was able to just kind of shit talk on Twitter and have fun and just be my like more casual self. And that was really cool because I think the timing worked out really well. You know, normally that wouldn't be a game that I could just like take off, but this time off had been scheduled long ago. So it was actually scheduled even before we knew that that was the day the Patriots were going to play the books. So it just lucked out. I always, you know, if you can make it to a destination wedding, it's a built-in vacation. And if you really love the people that you're going to celebrate and you know a lot of friends and family at the wedding, it ends up being a really good, almost like group vacation. And that's what it ended up being. So highly recommend making it uh, to the destination weddings. If it, if it's people that you're really close to that you want to vacation with, because ooh, what an impeccable time and truly blessed to spend five full days drinking and never really paying for any of it. I mean, we drank the whole time, ate amazing food, did, barely spent a dime on food and drink. It was like, who gets this chance? It was honestly so much fun, but we are back to real life. There is no ignoring it. Um, the NFL is, I mean, this is an interesting household here in Los Angeles for Chris and I, because as you guys well know, I'm a Patriots fan. My husband, also a Patriots fan, you know, obviously Roots for Them has always been side by side with me. Never was like a Patriots hater or a Tom Brady hater or anything when we started dating. So like 
that was never an issue, but he is from Arizona and he is a Cardinals fan. So we have always rooted for the Cardinals, but this year is finally the year to be rooting for the Cardinals. And it's great timing because it's things aren't looking particularly promising for the Patriots. So it's really fun to have another team that's maybe a real contender to root for. And we're not bandwagon fans. Like we've been there the whole time. You guys know, I've told you, keep an eye on the Cardinals. I told you before the season started to take them seriously. And as we've seen, they're the last remaining undefeated team in the NFL in the hardest division in football, not only this year, but one of the hardest, most competitive divisions in football in a very long time. Statistically, that is a very difficult division. And the fact that they are 4-0 is even more impressive because of it. So, you know, it's, it's a tale of two cities here. stuff coming up obviously not a time to be complaining about being a boston's fan don't get me wrong the red sox beat the yankees to make it to the alds against the rays oh it'll never get old it'll never get old before we get into all the patriot stuff and everything else i have to share with you these incredible quotes from cc sabathia after the red sox beat the yankees again ousted them from the playoffs again. He had to have known that this was going to be like an injection of pure ecstasy for Red Sox fans. I don't know why he would say this out loud, but I am very grateful he did. I'm going to read the direct quotes from CC Sabathia on the R2C2 podcast from The Ringer. Here's what he said. This Red Sox team is a completely different team. Our core lost to a team in 2018, that's not even the same Red Sox. They went on to win a World Series. Mookie, Jackie Bradley, Ben Intendi, they traded all them dudes. We still had the same core. We come back to Boston fucking four years later and lose to a fucking completely different core that they have raised up in three years. Like, how does that happen? What the fuck are we doing wrong? And they doing right that in a three-year span, they win a World Series and then a completely fucking different core whoops our ass in the fucking wild card game. And I... I have to say in this Yahoo sports article that is, that is recapping what he said, shout out to Darren Hartwell, who is actually uh, from NBC sports, Boston, Darren Hartwell adds this amazing little quote right after that, where he says, in Sabathia's defense, New York doesn't have the exact same core from that 2018 season. GM Brian Cashman did spend $324 million to bring in ace Garrett Cole, who gave up three runs and two plus innings on Tuesday night to take the loss. So Nice little shot there, Darren. Very well executed for CeCe Sabathia to get on this podcast and not only just be like, hey, you know, Yankees sucked. What what are they doing? Like, they've got to be better than this. But he just like completely lays out the argument for why the Red Sox are the better organization. They've overhauled. They've gotten rid of three players who in 2018 were the best outfield in baseball, three of the best players in baseball, Mookie Betts and MVP. And here they are. Beating the same Yankees with a, you know, it's not the, it's not a completely different core. Obviously they still have, it's not a completely different core. Obviously they still have some core pieces. They have Rafi Devers. They have Xander Bogarts. They have some of the same pitchers. They have Christian Vasquez. There's a handful of guys that are still part of that core, but point taken. Well done by Bloom. It tweeted about how millennials are really the first generation in over a hundred years of Red Sox fans that have spent majority of their lives, you know, if you're 30 or, you know, 
upper twenties or lower thirties, like you've spent a majority of your life watching the Red Sox be the better team, better Yankees. They've won four rings to their one in the last two decades. Right. Uh, so I tweeted about that and how awesome it is. And I had more than one response, a handful of responses like this, but this one was the one I retweeted. He said, my kids are teenagers and don't understand why I hate the Yankees. We always beat them in the playoffs, they say. So this Gen Z the re- or whatever the youngest generation, I guess teenagers are Gen Z technically, they don't even know why Red Sox fans would hate the Yankees because to them, the Red Sox have always been better. And that is just Oh, it's just so mind boggling and so awesome. I just, I don't have kids and all my friends with kids, they have little kids like babies and and toddlers and, but it makes total sense. Like there's a whole generation and I I kind of sometimes feel that way. Like I do, I inherited the Yankees hatred from the generations before us, our parents and uh, the, the, the older kids, right. From when we were younger, um, but I was still very young, a teen, when the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004, beat the Yankees in that ALCS. And so even I have a hard time remembering what it was like to be really tortured by the Yankees. Um, it was almost just this inherited value. And by the time that they lost that 2003 series, the Aaron Boone game, I understood that that was, of course, their like their legacy, right? It was like just to get that close and then lose. But it's been so long since then that even I have a hard time remembering sometimes why we hate the Yankees, you know. And then I just see them. I see their stupid faces. I see their stupid uniforms and their stupid fans on Twitter, and it just reignites me. So I hope we're able to still. While I truly love that the teens. And the younger generation don't even understand why we hate them because the Red Sox are so much better than the Yankees over the last, you know, 17 years. I do hope we're still able to pass on the generational hatred, that rivalry, because it is still one of the best rivalries, if not the best rivalry in all of sports, definitely in American sports, but really worldwide. It's, you know, you look around and there's only a few that can compare historically and and with the length of time that it's gone on. So I hope that we're still able to pass it down and keep it alive. That stuff coming up. All right. Unfortunately, I can't keep talking about Yankees, Red Sox forever. I do have to move on to the team that isn't surprising us with any exciting wins these days. Uh, The Patriots did lose to the Buccaneers last Sunday on Sunday Night Football. The good news is it was a much more exciting game than we could have even hoped for. I think there was weather. It was very old school Gillette rain coming down the whole time. There was a little fear right at the start of the game that like, this is exactly what Brady wanted, right? Is this like he, you know, maybe the rest of his team isn't used to playing in the pouring rain, but Tom Brady certainly never had an issue playing in weather before. And so all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, is this going to equalize things even more? You know, Mac doesn't have that experience in the weather and all that stuff, but Brady actually had a pretty bad game for Brady standards. No touchdowns, completed barely 50% of his passes, a 70.8 passer rating, very low. It was only the 12th game that Tom Brady's ever played in the regular season where he had a 70.8 passer rating or lower with zero touchdowns that his team ended up winning. 
So normally when Brady has a game like that, and he's had many more games like that than people realize because he's played so many games um, at inevitably you're going to have lots of, of crappy performances comparatively, but he's only had 12 games where he's played that poorly with no touchdowns and still won the game. And this was one of them. Uh, so it just is a reminder that that game was so winnable. And that's, I think what has given some Patriots fans and Patriots media, the optimism to say, Hey, like there were some things to look, be excited about there. But there's also the other side of that coin, which is you lost of an extremely winnable game at home. And the flaws were so obvious. The reason that it was lost is so obvious and it's frustrating. You lose a game by two points that, you know, I mean, the line on that game, the closing line on that game was Patriots plus six and a half. You only lose 19 to 17. And it's just a heartbreaker. You know, I, I've been thinking about this and I did a poll on Twitter asking you guys what you really wanted to hear me rant about. And there were four options. The 56-yard field goal attempt, Stefan Gilmore trade, Mac Jones threw four games, and the Patriots media reactions. So uh, 35% won, want to hear me talk about Mac Jones through four games. The Stefan Gilmore trade got 28%. 56 yard field goal got 15% media reactions got 22%. So a pretty decent split, all things considered, but uh, a decent majority is still ready to hear more Mac Jones takes for me, which I can't believe. I really thought people would be like, nah, we're done. We're sick of hearing you talk about that, but the people will get what they want. And here is where I'm at with Mac Jones. And I am going to touch on those other topics um, because I think they all tell the bigger story, the bigger picture of what's going on with the Patriots, where the state of the organization is at. I mean, it, it's it's a, it was a very clarifying week in a lot of ways. But let's let's talk about Mac Jones. Those 19 consecutive completions in the rain against Tom Brady in a close game at Gillette Stadium under the under those circumstances, both emotional and elemental were incredibly impressive. You can say what you want about them being a bunch of short passes and all that stuff. And I agree, you know, he is one dimensional as a passer right now. Um, maybe two dimensional. If you consider the fact that he is so poised and capable, there's no getting around the fact that that's an, an impressive feat. It was historic and he did it under extreme circumstances. You know, I was really nervous. The biggest thing for me was how is this going to mentally affect Mac? How is this game going to mentally affect him? How is he going to be able to handle the pressure of going up against Brady, looking at those banners, hearing the crowds cheer as he came in? Now the crowd did do him a solid and they booed Tom Brady when he came out for the game, which is cool. Like they cheered him, you know, for the intro. He's back, the big cheers. Hey, we love you, buddy. But as soon as he came out to start the game, there were the boos. And I thought that that was great. I thought the Gillette crowd, kudos, well done. You know, while sometimes Mac looks overwhelmed by the speed and the pace of the game and just the fact that he is only four games into his NFL career, he doesn't lose composure the way that we are used to seeing rookie quarterbacks lose composure. He doesn't make major mistakes. He doesn't cost his team the game. The flip side of that, and there is a flip side. I understand that people don't want to talk about this. I understand that most of Patriots media only wants to tell you that this is an, an immaculately mentally strong quarterback. The problem is the flip side of the fact that he does not make mistakes 
is that he also cannot win you the game. Now, are there many rookie quarterbacks that can win their team a game? No. That's why I didn't want a rookie quarterback starting this year. However, we have seen rookie quarterbacks recently prove the kind of stuff that they can do in these moments, even in losing seasons or even in tough seasons to start. We saw it from Lamar Jackson. We saw it from Justin Herbert. Um, there, even from Josh Allen, you know, these guys, like you see where it is that they can make the be game changing playmakers. And right now, what you see from Mac is that he is an amazingly accurate short passer, composed, smart, and very capable of making sure that ball doesn't end up in the other team's hands. And I like that. I like it a lot. It's just that. In that game, there were so many moments where they just needed a little more. And that little more was nowhere to be found. And we can talk about the offensive line all we want, but at the end of the day, it was just one or two plays that they needed. The final drive of that game, the Patriots went shotgun almost the entire drive. It was one short pass to Jacoby Myers after another. Short pass, short pass, short pass. Yes, it was pouring rain. Yes, there were other things at stake. The offensive line is blowing it. I get it. But you have to be able to do more than that. Hunter Henry drawing a penalty doesn't help. You know, missing a cat. These things don't help. But I'm using my eyeballs and I'm watching what's happening. And Mac has a lot of trouble when he's getting into deeper passing, going downfield. The timing is off. It's it's all just not completely coming together outside of that short passing game and without the run game, which obviously again, not max fault that they couldn't get the run game going, but without the run game, they're totally screwed. Now the Patriots defense was doing everything they could, everything they could. Now, luckily the bucks were without Rob Gronkowski that made their job a little bit easier. Uh, Tom Brady was not passing well in that game. He was off. The coverage was good. They were, the Patriots defense was firing on all cylinders in that game. They were doing their job as Bill Belichick loves to say. You hold Tom Brady to 19 points in his big homecoming, coming off of a loss in LA. He's amped up and you hold him to 19 points and there's just nothing to counter that with. Do I think that Mac can continue to get better? Do I think that the play calling can continue to get better? And that there are, these are just growing pains that any team goes through with a rookie. Yeah, I do. I do think that, which is why I didn't want a rookie starting on this team, because this is a really good defense. And I still think that some of these acquisitions are being underutilized. We've seen some really nice connections between Mac and Kendrick Bourne, and they don't seem to be able to get a rhythm going. We've seen Nelson what Nelson Aguilar can do both last year and on a couple of plays this year. Can't seem to get it downfield. The timing is way off. Something's way off with the tight ends. Both those tight ends are much better than they've played this year. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to blame the proven talent, both Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, proven talent on other teams. So I'm not blaming the proven talent, the veterans over the rookie quarterback that's throwing to them. Bet online is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. As always, bet online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. 
With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Not saying they've played perfectly. I'm not saying that Mac is at fault for every single mistake, but there's something off with those with those connections. You don't have James White anymore. That safety blanket has been ripped away. And now, and now he's left with Jacoby Myers, who has turned into the ultimate safety blanket, the ultimate sort of Julian Edelman role of trying to be everywhere at once. And it's, it's just not enough. You know, I'm not impressed with what Josh McDaniels has been doing play calling wise, but I also don't know much, how much more he can ask of Mac, you know, their trick plays, they work, they're great. We know Josh is always going to pull those out during a close game um, to try to give the team an edge and they work and that's great, but there's just all these little uncharacteristic inconsistencies on offense. And I know the offensive line, like I said, is not playing up to par, but you know, quarterbacks can help their offensive lines. They can help them look better. They can help them play better. Uh, the, it is on the quarterback to do their job as well. And Mac is a statue. He's just a statue back there. I mean, he cannot move. You're asking a lot of a weakened offensive line at this point. And so he's not doing them any favors. And I'm not making excuses for them, but I am saying I don't think they're as bad as they look. And I don't think Max is good as his completion percentage. I just think it is a little more balanced than that. Again, I'm not down on Mac. I'm actually really happy with how he's performed under the conditions he has performed in as a rookie in impossible position, but this isn't the Jaguars. This isn't the Jets. Uh, Belichick did coach the shit out of that defense against Tom Brady. And the, the decision to go for a 56 yard field goal on that fourth down was tough because analytics will tell you they should have tried to go for the fourth down. The analytics at this point, almost always say it's better off to go for it on fourth down. Nick Folk's a great kicker. Love the guy. This is not Adam Vinatieri in the snow. This is not like we're not at that level with Nick Folk. Uh, that is a, that would be tying his career long. It's pouring rain. To his credit, he made it there. It just didn't go the right way. It doinked off of the off the post. But uh, according to Next Gen Stats, if Folk had made the kick, the Patriots' win probability would have been fifty two point three percent. Given that Brady and the Bucks would have gotten the ball back with just under one minute left. Two times out and only trailing uh, by two points. So it was a 50-50 proposition for the home team at that point. If Mac Jones and the offense had converted a first down, their win probability would have jumped up to 65.3 with Folk presumably having the chance to end the game with a more probable field goal and less time on the clock for Brady. Uh, we know this. Missing the field goal results in a loss. But if you combine the likelihood of each out outcome before the play, the value of kicking a field goal was 24.3%. And the value of going for it was 34.7%. So you've put yourself in a tough position. It's going to be hard to win the game. Fourth and two. Ideally, 
they're not in fourth and two position to begin with. It's not one short pass to Jacoby Myers after short pass to Jacoby Myers after short pass to Jacoby Myers all the way to fourth down. It was the it's the most boring, predictable offense you could possibly watch. And part of that is Josh. Part of that is the personnel. And part of that is Mac. This time last year, the Patriots were two and two, had twice as many touchdowns scored as this season and had won both of their home games. Their two losses had been to the Seahawks on the road in an overtime game and to the Chiefs in Kansas City without Cam Newton, a game that they were in for the entire game. They had a chance to win that game even without Cam Newton. The defense statistically was a little worse, but again, at this point, they'd played Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson. So at this time last year in 2020, this team was in a better position. And they weren't better offensive with offensive personnel. And they weren't better defensively. They weren't better on special teams but they were more dynamic at the quarterback position and they did have an opportunity to threaten in the red zone. And even without a tight, tight ends, even without a downfield threat, they were still scoring more touchdowns. They had 12 touchdowns by the time through week four last year, they have six right now. This offense is as flat as it's ever been. And the problem is Max not even fucking up. He's doing his job. He's doing everything he can. This is who he is as a rookie. And I don't understand why you would spend all that money in the offseason. Why you would set this team up with veterans like Devin McCourty and Matthew Slater and these guys who you know are Super Bowl contending players just to roll out there with this offense and this quarterback who is who still needs so much more work before he's capable of helping this team get to the playoffs. This isn't even a pro Cam Newton take. It's just, I don't, I'm, I fail to see where the, what the plan is or what the plan was heading into this season. Mac is who people said he was. There's been no disappointments in terms of expectation versus reality. If anything, he's outperformed, uh, what some people thought he was capable of in terms of his accuracy right off the bat. Unfortunately, it's just not for a lot of yards or big plays or meaningful plays. It's a lot of game managing and game managing on the most basic level with the most vanilla offense. I fail to see at this point in time how blind optimism about the Patriots and the offense is helpful when they have lost three straight home games to start the season. Their only win is a game on the road against the Jets. The Saints are not an unbeatable team. The Dolphins are not an unbeatable team. And the Bucs were supremely beatable at home on Sunday night. And they blew every single one. The fact that the Dolphins game was close and the fact that the Buccaneers game was close is definitely heartening. But this is Bill Belichick. This is the Patriots. You know, we talked earlier in this episode about the sort of the team building and the consistency of the Red Sox to overcome expectations for Bloom and Alex Cora to continue to outperform even when whether they're stacked like they were in 2018 
or whether they're underestimated like they were this year, contending for 17 years. That's what we were used to with the Patriots, not losing closed games because of stupid penalties, fumbles, whatever else. That's what we're used to with the Patriots. And I'm a big Bill Belichick defender, but the longer he goes on, uh, being unable to win those close games, unable to keep the penalties under control in big moments, unable to make the difficult decisions analytically in games, the more he's separating himself, the more he's losing that battle in the Brady versus Belichick argument, right? And part of that, part of his decision-making is the decision to start Mac Jones in 2021 with a roster he felt he could contend with. I just... That's part of his coaching. That's part of what he decided to do. He had a veteran quarterback that he could have rolled with. He decided to go a different way. And so far, that different way has got them with a worse record and a worse offense than they had a year ago. Now, when it comes to the Stephon Gilmore trade, I'm, I don't know how mad I am. Uh, Belichick has a history of getting rid of players once they've hit their prime and started to even semi-decline to get the most value out of them when he can. And he's usually done a pretty good job of it. That he botched the timing on the Stefan Gilmore one. He should have traded him last year. He didn't. I understand why he didn't trade him last year. They really needed that defense to step up. He thought that they had a chance. And people forget that the Patriots actually did have a chance to make the playoffs for most of the season because of the way the division played out. So did he misjudge Gilmore's market? Sure. Um, did he maybe not nurture that relationship enough to get Gilmore to stay on for the type of extension Gil Belichick would have wanted to give him? Sure. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get the timing right every single time. And when you look at the entirety of Stefan Gilmore's time with the Patriots, it was immensely successful. It was a really good contract from the signing to the contract, to the amount, what they got out of him, including being defensive player of the year. There's no arguing that the entirety of Stefan Gilmore's time with the Patriots was an unmitigated success. He gets hurt. You can't predict injuries. Stefan Gilmore is not getting traded for a sixth round pick if he hasn't been hurt since last December. I, I Again, I go back to this and I know I said this with the Brady Belichick thing in one of my most recent rants, which is like, show me the coach GM who has done a better job of moving on from veteran players and getting maximum value for those players consistently. Who's doing it? Who's the guy who like perfectly judges when to get rid of Stefan Gilmore and everyone gives him a pat on the back. No one tells him he should have kept him. No one tells him he should have given them the extension. Just says, great deal. Amazing. Great job. It never happens. If he had traded him when, it, when he could have get, gotten the max value, people have won, would have wondered why he was getting rid of the best cornerback in the league. And now that he waited and he's been post-injury and he couldn't get negotiations done, it's like, oh my God, he totally botched this. And I just... I'm a little tired of that. Um, Belichick has not been a perfect coach or GM specifically over the last few years, but I just find this to be a little exhausting, especially when there are injuries involved. Now, looking ahead, I don't do this frequently, but I think considering where the Patriots are at right now, it's worth looking at where they go from here season-wise. Like they, they are in must-win territory, Okay. There is no losing to the Texans next week. This is a must-win game. So they go on the road to the Texans next week. They have to win it. I don't care how they win it. It doesn't have to be pretty. Like I said, I'm not looking for Mac Jones to look like rookie of the year or whatever else every week. I just, as long as they win, I don't care. 
winnable game. Then they host the Cowboys at home. Now the Cowboys are a much better team than they normally are. And Dak Prescott's a great quarterback, but again, this is a home game. They have to get a win at home. They've got to win a game at home. And I refuse to believe that Bill Belichick can't out coach Mike McCarthy and Gillette, even with the talent disparity between uh, Dak and Mac at quarterback. I think the Patriots defense is better winnable. Now, all of a sudden, you know, if the, if they can win those two games, now, if they can win those two games, all of a sudden the Patriots are three and three heading into their second game with the jets at home in Gillette. And again, no excuse to lose to the jets. There is a world in which the Patriots have a winning record and have won three straight by the time week seven is over. The problem with that is that even though I do think that there's a world in which they get to four and three immediately, they have to go on the road to the chargers. They have to go on the road to the Panthers. And then they have to host the Browns. And as of right now, I don't love their run defense and the look of that against Nick Chubb. So their six-game outlook is very nice in the short term and starting to get a little worse in the long term. And that makes me nervous. If they lose Chargers, Panthers, Browns, and they drop down to four and six, it's done. So this next six-game stretch is really going to decide who they are as a team. Like I said, I still think that there's potential. Losing James White is a as big of a hit to any, as any team could take, honestly, considering where their offense is at. And because that offense is so basic, losing that guy has been monumental. We haven't talked about it enough, uh, but they're going to have to find a way to get the run going. They're going to have to get a, find a way to get Damian Harris going again and, and incorporating JJ Taylor and Ramondre Stevenson and doing um, what they've always done, which is next man up, you know, next man up can't stop just because Tom Brady is gone. Just because Dante Skarnecchia is gone just because Ernie Adams is gone. And no, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. And no, I don't think they're going to win a playoff game. But I do think that there's a way that they can develop this team and this quarterback over the course of this year that will make me feel a lot better than I do right now. Shall we? Okay, before we go, I just have to tell you, I watched the Patriots-Bucks game, like I said earlier in in the podcast, Uh, from the place where we were staying for this wedding in Santa Barbara last weekend. Now, these are the greatest friends you could ever ask for because none of them are Patriots fans. No one, you know, is a, is a, even particularly a Tom Brady fan, but they're my friends. And so they committed knowing how big this game was, knowing how important it was for me that I watch it and that I watch it with supportive friends. They were all on board. And so I knew going into the week, into the weekend that we were going to get to watch this game. Now our friend Garrett had just gotten married the day before it's post wedding day celebrations. We do our brunch, we do our whole thing. And he's making sure he's like on top of having the games all ready to go. We watched the Cardinals Rams, another really big game. That was awesome. Bunch of them are Cardinals fans because they're from Arizona. So it worked out really well for them. And then it went right into Sunday night football. And not only was he rooting for the Patriots, did he have the full on like, set up, ready to go. Was he prioritizing all of that stuff? But he also bet on the Patriots, took the Patriots at plus six and a half, um, which was awesome because that meant that even though the Patriots lost, I was really excited for my friends that they picked the Patriots in my honor, but they went with them and won money. Um, it made me feel so much better. They were like amazing friends about it. The best part about this though, which I have not told you yet, is that I thought we were just going to be watching this game at this beautiful estate in Santa Barbara, which would have been nice enough. But 
Upon arriving at this estate on Friday, I discovered that this estate had a home theater in it. And when I tell you a home theater, I'm not talking six, eight seats. I'm talking about like this place had to have sat between the couches and all the seating behind it, 30 people, like a full on theater projector room in the back whole situation. It was insane. I sat on this comfortable ass couch in a home theater and watched football for like seven hours, took breaks for uh, cocktails and uh, takeout food. And it was amazing. And I could not have asked for a better way to watch Patriots Bucks because when I don't have to work, I get way more amped up, way more stressed out and anxiety riddled during the games. So they know that. So it was like a relaxing time. It was so cool. It was very alarming to see Steve Belichick's weird faces up close on a screen that big. I'll tell you that it was disturbing. And Bill Belichick looks infinitely more like Emperor Palpatine on that huge screen than he even does on a normal TV. So again, jarring. Neither are the Belichick's good when you can see them up that close on a screen that big. But otherwise, it was really cool. So I have to shout out Garrett uh, for being not only an amazing uh, friend and convincing all of our other friends to root for the Patriots and bet on the Patriots, um, but prioritizing watching the game with me on his wedding weekend. I mean, I know he would have been watching football anyway, but I also know that uh, that it was a little bit of a bigger deal and that he made it a bigger priority because he knew how much it meant. And we had this amazing place and this amazing space to watch it. If I'm going to have one game that I can watch in peace all year, maybe all my life, this was the one to do it. And I it could not have gone better. I took my five minutes after the game to pout and whine, um, but otherwise it was an awesome time. And like I said, my friends won money because they bet that the game would be close. They knew Belichick would would not let Brady get away with a blowout. And I appreciate them for the for the faith. So that was really awesome. Um, I post I'll post some pictures of the home theater um, on Twitter so you guys can see what it looks like. It was oral. I think I have a video of it as well. It was really cool. One of those things you never get to do. You know, it's not like a regular occurrence in my life that I get to be in this place where I'm like, this is where I'm going to watch the football game. You know, the the only place I've ever watched uh, games on a screen that big is in like a, a television studio, you know, like NFL network or something, um, which is not the same, not as comfortable, very cold. And usually I'm there working with a cup of coffee in my hand, not the same thing. But yeah, it was really, really awesome. And uh, despite all my ranting and raving about the game, it could, uh, it was really a special thing to watch. It was special to see Tom Brady come back to Gillette. I thought that he handled himself really well. Um, I thought they both did, him and Belichick. I know that it was a huge moment for him to see Kraft, and that was very emotional adorable post-game conversations between Brady and Mac and Brady and Matthew Slater. Oh, so cute. It was, you know, like I said before the game, it was a once in a lifetime type of game. It did break a lot of viewership records. It was a really big deal. And I got to soak it in with people that I care about in this amazing setting with uh, some actual downtime. And I'm it, I'm really grateful I got to do it that way. Just it had all the elements that we wanted. Even the pouring rain seemed to be serendipitous in some ways, right? Like I said, I do think that for the next six weeks, um, there's a string of really winnable games and a string of really hard games. And this is where things are going to get real. The looming specter of Tom Brady coming back to Gillette is over. It's done. Um, Max showed he can hang. 
He can hang in there emotionally. He can keep his shit together. I love seeing that. Now it's time to get down into the nitty gritty of the NFL season and really see what the, what the team is capable of. They're not going to have Stephon Gilmore. They will be playing against Stefan Gilmore, but the secondaries actually looked a little bit better than I anticipated, even without him. So I'm, I'm not super concerned. I don't think any NFL team is exactly who they're going to be in week four. You know, there is still a chance for this team to evolve and grow. Um, even if it doesn't include a playoff run and I am still excited to see how that plays out next week, I am going to bring someone on to talk more about the NFL at large and this and the league in general. I don't anticipate the Texans game being that interesting or worth like really breaking down this deeply. So I want to talk more about the NFL in general. So, but in the meantime, Thank you for joining. Thanks for listening. Like I said, I'll, I'll try to post a home theater video so you can, guys can see how cool it was. Um, but just know that it'll be back on the couch this week in front of the two TVs, with my laptop open working, just like the average ass person I am. Back to regular life. Follow me at Tanya Ray Fox and at Shameless TRF on Twitter and on Instagram. If you're watching this, thank you for viewing on YouTube. Remember to subscribe and I will talk to you next week. Bye.